Welcome to That Rooted Feeling Podcast, where we bring you high-value health information and practical tips to help you improve your lifestyle habits with a focus on plant-centered nutrition. So you can achieve optimal wellness that radiates into and improves all areas of your life, giving you that rooted feeling that you won't know until you have it. Welcome back. It's another episode and another week of That Rooted Feeling. It's October, so that means it's Breast Cancer Awareness Month. So today we're going to be talking about breast cancer and the lifestyle factors that can really help mitigate our risk for developing breast cancer. It can lower the rate of recurrence, increase the efficacy of treatment, and promote remission. As always, I'm Jamie Javed. I'm a registered nurse and plant-centered holistic health coach, and I'm here with my co-host, Dr. Brooke Stubbs. She is double board certified in internal medicine and lifestyle medicine, and also has a master's in nutrition, which makes her specialty very unique. And she too encourages her patients to really improve their lifestyle habits for better health, for longevity, and she does that through her practice here at Rooted Femme. All right, Brooke, so you're going to tell us all about breast cancer today and how lifestyle can play a role in developing it. So let's kick it off. Yeah, that's right. So I think our listeners are going to be really surprised to know how much lifestyle can affect not only the risk of getting cancer, and we talk about that with all chronic disease, but also there's several lifestyle factors that can help with the efficacy of chemotherapy, treatment, and if you're going through cancer, we can even use some modalities in our lifestyle to lower your risk of recurrence and overall mortality rate associated with breast cancer. So we're going to talk about all that today. There's so much information about breast cancer because of its prevalence in our um, community. And so, you know, you can find a lot of these resources online. Um, They're very available. We're just going to hit the high notes today. Um, But I want to mention that I've seen a statistic that as many as 90 to 95% of the breast cancers are caused by lifestyle factors or environmental factors. As opposed to genetic components. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Which I thought was a shocking number. That is. That's a very high number. And so when you think about how many breast cancers we have, that's really, really significant. Um, And so there's some expert analysis that says, well, how much can we actually prevent if we start focusing on lifestyle factors, and some say up to 30%. So maybe a third-ish of the cancers uh, attributable to lifestyle cancers could be mitigated by focusing on really poignant lifestyle factors. And that's, you know, that's encouraging because breast cancer is the number one cancer in women, and it's the number two cancer worldwide. And then it's the fifth leading cause of death worldwide. So if we can make a dent in the prevalence of breast cancer through lifestyle factors alone, I think that would be a huge win. Yeah, I think we are so in the ball game of prevention and taking this um, empowering standpoint. And so with breast cancer, what should we do to prevent breast cancer in the first place? It's really important to know that the lifestyle factors that keep us healthy in general are going to be the same ones that reduce our risk of cancers. But we're going to look at breast cancer specifically today. Of course, eating well, exercising, avoiding alcohol and other toxins, getting adequate sleep, you know, managing your stress, having positive social connections. We talk about that in terms of lifestyle medicine. But let's break down from the literature what we know specific to breast cancer. And one of the major themes around cancer in general is this role of oxidative stress in developing a cancer. And things that promote oxidative stress are things like 
excess calories or excess stress on the body, you know, extremes of exercise, not getting enough sleep, those things. Of course, we can get oxidative stress from environmental factors. So any of those things that are going to create oxidative stress are going to increase the risk of cancer. Specifically, if we're talking about excess calories, things like obesity, foods that are high in sugar, high cholesterol and smoking, all of this creates oxidative stress. Um, and we're talking about diet, so it's important to know that the Mediterranean diet specifically has been associated with a lower breast cancer rate. When we talk about the Mediterranean diet, we know it's mostly plant-based, right? Fruits, vegetables, whole grains, they even have fish. So thinking about olive oil, all this is associated with a lower cancer rate. And women who eat five and a half servings of fruits and vegetables each day have a 11% lower risk of breast cancer than those who ate two or two and a half or fewer servings of fruits and vegetables each day. And then we also see specifically in terms of fiber, which we know fiber comes from plant foods, this can reduce your risk of breast cancer up to 8% if you're in a higher fiber intake bracket. And then we know that high fat diets and dairy are also associated with increased risk of breast cancer, as are ultra processed foods and red meat. So these are very pro-inflammatory. So the American College of Lifestyle Medicine recommends increasing the intake of whole foods rich in antioxidants that will help mitigate some of this oxidative stress. And they mention beta carotene, lycopene, resveratrol, selenium, vitamin C, vitamin E. And so you're going to get these in whole foods. So beta carotene comes from carrots, sweet potato, spinach, kale, lycopene in your tomatoes, watermelon, guava, the things that are red, Reservatrol, red grapes, blueberries, peanuts, soy, selenium, Brazil nuts, sunflower seeds, fish, mushrooms, vitamin C and cantaloupe, citrus fruits, mango berries, and vitamin E is in almonds, peanuts, leafy greens. So you see like if they're recommending this, it means get a variety of plant foods for all of the protective phytonutrients in there. And what I want to mention too is that supplements actually don't help reduce cancer by and large. Um, we've seen this through the Lancet and Cochrane reviews, but the body doesn't respond to really high doses of antioxidants. And there may be something to the isolation of these chemicals that may even be associated with some increased mortality when they're in a supplement form. So talk to your doctors about this, because if you already have cancer or if you're at increased risk, you don't want to be doing anything that could perpetuate your mortality uh, in terms of, you know, something you think you're doing great for your body that could actually be detrimental. So moving on to other risk factors, obesity or weight gain is actually really highly associated with breast cancer. So women who gain weight in adulthood, and particularly if they gain 20 kilograms or more, and that's equivalent to about 44 pounds, will double their risk of breast cancer, which is huge. Yeah, that's a big increase there. I know. So, but there's, there's hope because if you lose about 5% of that weight, you can decrease your risk by 25%. And if you lose 10% of your body weight, you can reduce the risk by 50%. So that's great. But it's like, okay, fat, why in the world would this cause an increase in cancer rates? Fat seems pretty benign, but you know, there's a lot of different mechanisms this can happen by. So first of all, excess calories, you know, if you're utilizing calories, you're creating free radicals. So it's pro-oxidant. It causes oxidative stress. 
and that also promotes cancer development. But um, estrogen can also be stored in fat. So this correlates with the specific increase in hormone receptor positive types of breast cancer that we see in people with obesity. And then other mechanisms for obesity and the cancer risk include elevated insulin in the blood, insulin resistance, and then insulin-like growth factor, which we know is associated with tumor growth, the change in sex hormone metabolism, which we just talked about estrogen being stored in fat, so that makes sense. And if you have chronic inflammation, which obesity is an inflammatory condition, and then there's an elevation in other growth factors and changes in immune response with obesity. So that's that's a huge mechanism for creating cancer in the body. But it also, cancer requires food, right? Calories. And it's very hard to starve a cancer from getting the nutrients they need when your body itself is storing a lot of excess energy storage. So we see people who are thinner tend to do better or have less breast cancer uh, risk. You talked about starving the cells. Does this kind of refer back to that process of autophagy as well that a lot of people like to refer to for clearing that debris of the cell? I don't know that it's the same, but you know, cancer goes through apoptosis, right? So it's programmed cell death. And that happens if the cells aren't getting nutrients, right? They need angiogenesis, which is the formation of blood cells to be fed, and they they actually need nutrients to survive, just like any other cell in your body. And if they're not getting that, they're not going to rapidly divide, and therefore they are programmed to undergo their own cell death. And we want that to happen, but that's, that's not going to happen as readily if we're feeding it things like, you know, vascular endothelial growth factor, which is higher in patients with obesity. And that's going to promote more angiogenesis to feed those tumors and then, you know, provide these calories that are needed from the fat. So it all goes hand in hand. We mentioned dairy. Let's talk about soy a little bit because I think there's a lot of miscommunication and I think it's being parceled out. I think by and large, most people realize soy is actually good for you. It does have isoflavones, which can mimic estrogen. So they're phytoestrogen compounds. And this is where it really, the confusion started, right? If there's estrogen and we know that estrogen could cause issues with breast cancer, then does that increase cancer risk or mortality rates? But in fact, these phytoestrogens have a weaker signal than our own endogenous estrogens. And so when we are eating soy, maybe a couple servings a week, those phytoestrogens will bind to the same receptors and provide a softer signal, basically. Yeah, this is by far the second most common question. Aside from where do I get my protein, <laughs> I don't want to eat soy because it causes breast cancer. Right, it's- but that's not true. Yes. <laughs> so it doesn't cause breast cancer. In fact, it's associated with a decreased risk of breast cancer. Yeah, so I'm what, glad you pointed that out. Yeah, and what I would say is if you have soy, just try and be consistent with it, right? Don't don't have a ton of soy and then, you know, go off of the soy. Just kind of be consistent because you can change the amount of hormone receptors in your body based on how how much is binding to it. I think there are studies on like the Japanese cultures that consume a lot of soy products and they do have decreased risk of breast cancer in their community. They absolutely do. Okay, so then moving on, of course, smoking we know is associated with all types of cancer, but for breast cancer specifically, if you've smoked for 10 years or more, you can increase your risk by 21%. 
So, I mean, I'll say no to cigarettes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then if we're talking about toxins, we can't get past breast cancer without mentioning alcohol. Alcohol is actually a pretty big one for breast cancer. So, even just a serving of alcohol can increase your risk slightly. I mean, that's a 2%. But when you have 60 grams, which isn't a lot of alcohol per week, you're going to increase your risk up to 12%. And there's, there's many different mechanisms by which alcohol does it. So the byproducts of reducing alcohol and, you know, detoxifying alcohol create all these changes in our DNA. You delete certain strands of DNA. You get these chromosomal changes, downregulating su- certain tumor suppressor genes. So alcohol has specific mechanisms that create increased risk of breast cancer. Another fascinating lifestyle risk, I guess we put this in lifestyle, is that women who don't have children have an increased risk of breast cancer, and women who have children at an older age have a slightly increased risk of breast cancer as well. I have read that one. In that same vein, when we talk about hormones of reproduction, birth control and hormone replacement can actually increase your risk of breast cancer. And particularly if you're getting hormone replacement early in postmenopause. People who have later hormone replacement tend to have lower risks of breast cancer. And this varies from person to person. Of course, a lot of the population uses birth control and sometimes the advantages of birth control can outweigh some of the risk. If you mm-hmm. are concerned about it, please talk to your doctor. Um, and it, you know, it's going to vary from person to person. But moving on, we know that sedentary lifestyle may be associated with 10% of breast cancers worldwide. But I've read in the literature also that we need to do about 180 minutes per week to get a 3% reduction in our breast cancer risk. You know, that's really hard to quantify in a lifestyle. We all know that. We know that about nutrition. We know that about exercise. But some of the potential anti-cancer effects of exercise include reducing the exogenous sex hormone concentrations, Of course, improving insulin resistance, so you get less of that insulin-like growth factor. Um, Chronic low-grade inflammation is reduced when you have when you are physically active, so that's definitely beneficial for lowering your risk of cancer. Of course, oxidative stress can be mitigated by some level of exercise. You can actually get pro-oxidant stress from too much exercise, but we won't go there today. Um, telomere length is improved with exercise. And then, you know, we get better gene expression through exercise. So let's put all this together, right? So eating a high fiber diet, rich in plant foods, exercising, reducing your toxins like alcohol and smoking, maintaining a healthy weight, eating soy, which is another plant component, getting these antioxidant foods in your diet. All of these things go hand in hand. This is all going to compound together, right? We see all of these individual lifestyle factors being pulled from data, and usually these are done in cohort studies. And so when we look at cohort studies, there's a lot of confounding bias because people who have healthy lifestyle factors tend to have a lot of the healthy lifestyle Mm -hmm. factors. So all in all, changing lifestyle behaviors to be overall more healthy is going to be beneficial for breast cancer risk. And if you're somebody who's concerned and you want to start making those changes, of course, reach out to a health coach like myself or Jamie and get help in that process because it can be very, very difficult and hard to know where to start. But even just a small step to push you 
in the right direction and move that needle forward will lead to bigger changes over time. So that is the preventative side. So all of these dietary and lifestyle factors that we know to prevent chronic disease also prevent our chances of getting breast cancer. But now let's talk about somebody who's already been diagnosed with breast cancer. What specifically has been shown to improve their rates of remission or really their treatment outcomes once they're already diagnosed? Yeah, so there are a few things in addition to the things we already mentioned. Of course, continuing those preventative things is also going to help with outcomes if you are diagnosed with breast cancer. But maintaining a healthy weight, so for the same reasons we talked about with prevention, people who are overweight have a 30% higher mortality from breast cancer, and that mortality goes down with weight loss. So that's one thing. Exercise, of course, we talked about exercise and prevention, but we see in studies that exercise actually increases T-cell immunity, particularly CD8 T-cells that have anti-tumor activity and can improve outcomes with breast cancer. And then fasting is another modality that can help with breast cancer outcomes. So people who have fasted 13 hours or more overnight can reduce the risk of recurrence 36%, and they have a lower mortality of 21% associated with breast cancer. So really continuing to eat this fiber-rich, nutrient-dense diet while you are going through treatment, also continuing to move your body, and also shortening that eating window to add for you know an extended fast um, can help reduce the risk and recurrence of um, mortality and breast cancer in patients. And so we really can't talk about breast cancer without talking about screening. So Brooke, can you tell our listeners what are the current recommendations and how do we screen for breast cancer? So let's talk first about manual exams because that's something people do at home and they want to know if there's any recommendation around there. And I think there used to be more guided recommendations. And then I think there was a lot of people finding things that weren't abnormal fibrous tissue and getting mammographies when they didn't need to. So the recommendation around that now from the cancer societies is just to be aware of breast tissue, to start early self-examinations manually so that you can kind of identify what normal breast tissue feels like. Because it's lumpy and bumpy. It's not smooth, right? We want to know what our breasts feel like in a normal condition, starting that early as soon as breasts appear. And then when you notice a change, letting your doctor know so they can assess whether that's normal breast tissue or if you need to have some kind of screening exam. So that is the first suggestion. The second is mammography. And everybody knows mammograms are really important to breast cancer screening. So the recommendation around mammography is that you can start at age 40 to get annual exams. The solid recommendation is you should start at 45 getting annual exams. I've already started. I would recommend starting at 40. And then at 55, the recommendation tapers off. You can either get them annually or you can get them every two years. Now, this is totally different if you have an increased risk of breast cancer. We're going to talk about that. If you have an increased risk, you either start annual mammography at 30 or five years prior to the earliest age of diagnosis in your relative. So who has increased risk then, you want to know? (laughs) Um, That would be anybody who has a first-degree relative or second-degree relatives on both sides with breast cancer. And so they're at an increased lifetime risk, about 20 to 25% greater than the rest of the population. So of course, those people would be getting it at 30 
or five years prior to the relative that had the earliest diagnosis of breast cancer. If you have a known BRCA1 or BRCA2 gene mutation, you would get and you would get earlier screenings. If you haven't been tested for the BRCA, but you have a first-degree relative with a BRCA gene, you can get early screening, or you should get early screening. Then if you've had high levels of radiation in your chest before the age of 30, that's something to consider getting early screening. Then there's a few cancer syndromes, syndrome like Cowden syndrome. There's a couple other with longer, more bizarre names, but you would know if you had these, these would be discussed with your doctor, and that would mean that you would need to get earlier screening. But I have had a mammography, like I said. Jamie, have you ever had a mammography? Yeah, I've actually had two or three done now. Um, I do have a family history on my mom's side. Um, not in my immediate, like my mom doesn't have, has never had breast cancer. But they're just, they're, you know, uncomfortable. But it wasn't horrible, my mm-hmm. experience. I also had like a lump that I had found that ended up being a fibroadenoma. So it mm-hmm. was non-cancerous. So went through that path, but it's just important, like you said, to do those self-exams to be able to report to your doctor where those are and see if they're cancerous or not. And when you detect them early, you know, the outcome is so much better. So yeah, prevention really is key. Yeah. I've had two myself. Um, The reason I had the first one was because I found also felt a lump that ended up being a cyst. So I didn't have to have any biopsy or anything like that. Um, and I remember the first one being really uncomfortable. And then I went and got, after my kids, I got a breast surgery and I had to get a mammography prior to that. And then mm-hmm. it wasn't that bad. It wasn't as bad as I remembered it. And it was like super quick. Yeah. So anyway, I just, I want everybody to be encouraged that if you need mammography, you know, it's very, you know, it's not, like you said, it's not comfortable. It's not f- particularly fun, but it's yeah. something you do and it's shouldn't be scary and just go do it. Yeah, for sure. And then of course, like always, there's we don't give any medical advice on here. So don't delay mammography or get early de- mammography based on what you've learned here today. Just take this information to your doctor if you're concerned and use their med- medical expertise and the knowledge they have about your history in order to decide whether or not to be screened for breast cancer. But really think it's important to talk about since it's October and it's Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and we should really maintain a healthy lifestyle so we can reduce our risk and and see better outcomes in terms of breast cancer. Our goal here is really to empower you with the knowledge for this preventative approach, whether that be nutrition, how you move your body, all of these lifestyle factors that are going to decrease your risk for chronic disease, and today specifically talking about breast cancer. So we hope you enjoyed this episode. We hope it was beneficial to you. If you learned something, if you love this episode, please go leave us us a five-star review. Share this with a friend who you think could benefit from it. And we will see you next week. Yep, see you next week.